What's up, everyone? This is Jacob Moses, host of the Not Boring Tech Writer, where in each episode, we teach technical writers a different skill so they can enhance their skill sets, improve their marketability, diversify their career, and ultimately break the stereotype that technical writing is a boring career. In this episode, we're going to revisit some of the wisdom that technical communicators shared with us this year on the Not Boring Tech Writer podcast. It was a really great year for the podcast. We knocked out 10 episodes with 11 guests, and now you're going to get an opportunity to hear what I believed was the best segment of each episode. We'll go in chronological order of when the podcasts were published, episode 1 through 10. I'll give a little context before the segment. And then if you hear something that makes you happy, (laughs) dings a little light bulb or gives you an idea, and you hadn't dove into that episode fully, now's a good chance to. If you hear Ted dropping wisdom about how to stay relevant and preparing for the future of TechCom in episode 7, go back and peep it. You hear Bree in episode 3 talking about how you can implement just-in-time documentation, go back and check it out. That's the, that's the point of this reflection. So without further ado, best of 2016. Here we go. So in episode one, we had Dr. Chris Lamb discussing how you can apply empathy to your audience analysis. In this segment, Dr. Lamb is sharing some tips about how you can apply that empathy to gain a better understanding of your customers and how they interact with your product. There's really two ways to to implement this. The first is, um, and the most obvious is, is to just sit down with your end user, right? And so... Um, but to sit down with your end user with less of an agenda than you would in perhaps a traditional audience analysis. So this D-School course asks you to um, to just have a really open-ended interview. So to get to know what do you like to do, what are your hobbies, why do you like to do that, what draws you to that, um, and really listen to your end user. <laughs> and that, I think, gives you insights that, may seemingly be um, unrelated to the product that you're documenting or more unrelated to the technology. Um, but I think, and this is one thing that I try to teach my students, is that the whole idea is to understand uh, this person holistically, right? So like, who is this person? What kind of person is this? What are they into? Uh, what are they not into? What makes them tick, right? And you, asking questions about, how many years have you used the internet? That's not, that's helpful, but that's not going to, you're not going to understand a person mm-hmm. um, without asking questions about them that may not be related to, uh, to the actual thing you're documenting, right? So I think one really practical step is to just sort of open the boundaries or the walls of what it means to interview an end user, right? And so, yeah, you might have those six or seven questions you need answered and you'll get to those eventually. But to spend 10 or 15 minutes in a conversation where you're just asking and drawing out uh, uh, personality traits, drawing out really anything that that will help you understand your user uh, in a more meaningful way. The second way, I think, for technical communicators uh, to sort of implement empathy is... um, 
maybe less practical, but I think in my experience, um, the best way to imp- implement empathy is to actually be an end user. And mm. I think we've probably heard this before, and this is all tech com instructors teach this. Like you got, you should do the thing that you're trying to teach someone to do. Um, but in my experience, the the most heavy technical communication that I do is um, communicating uh, things about web development, right? So here's how to build something in a WordPress framework, for example. Um, and what the, the way that I gain empathy is to uh, actually do it uh, and then just be very cognizant of the struggles that I have, even self-reflection um, and journaling and writing down the struggles that I had um, as I walked through the particular uh, task that I was trying to achieve, um, but to have some stake in it, right? So it's helpful to care about it, um, and I get that that may not be the context for every technical communicator, um, but for me personally, when I care about the thing, that's when I can reflect back on, okay, this is where it was really hard, right? So this is where I, you know, implementing the CSS in this step was where it was really difficult for me. So actually walking through it and living it um, and experiencing it then gives me the context to go, okay, now that I've done that, I know exactly the points to stress. Here's the points that I need to um, sort of uh, just provide a summary overview of, and this is the, these are the points where I really need to get deep into um, and so those are the two things, right? So the traditional interview and then really investing and having a stake in what you're creating. Boom. Episode one with Dr. Chris Slam. If you liked what you heard and would like to hear the complete episode, check out the show notes below. So now we move into episode two with Adam Fout about the criteria that he believes tech writers should have before they consider transitioning into marketing. It's a lot of fun because I can, I can really put a lot of personality into the document. And I think this might be where uh, individual personalities really come into play. Some people just in, like, um, you know, some people are born to be salespeople. You mm-hmm. know, they, they love that kind of stuff. They love going and, and going to networking events and talking to everyone and getting and following up and making cold calls and all that garbage that I w- that just gives me a heart attack to think, you know, so, and, and there are other people who just love to spend all day long working physically outside and that's great. Um, you know, that's not me. And I think the same can be said for, for marketing and writing there. I think, um, a lot of people, it, they just don't, don't feel it. You know, they don't feel like they want their personality to be in the writing, you know, uh, like they, they kind of enjoy, um, the, the, sort of anonymity you get um, from being a, a tech writer. Um, and it's a nice kind it is a, a very nice kind of behind the scenes making a difference. But, you know, be, if you're really great at it, nobody knows, you know, that kind of a mm-hmm. deal. Um, at the supportive structure behind companies, et cetera. Um, but I think w- with marketing writing, you're very much putting yourself out there. Uh, and that was one struggle I had at the beginning was, okay, I'm not writing this as a as anonymous writer three, you know. I'm not writing this as as tech writer two. Um, I'm writing this and putting my name at the end, 
And that's that's kind of odd for me because I've been used to my name not appearing anywhere and just almost ghostwriting. Um, so I I think that that took a little getting used to. But once I I got used to it, I was like, what? This is actually pretty enjoyable because then I was able to form these connections with people, and people would comment on um, on blog posts I would write and say, hey, you know, um, this is really great, and thank you for writing this, and and check out this thing that I wrote, and it, and it allowed me to form these really cool relationships that I wouldn't have been able to have otherwise. Mad love to the homie Adam Fount. Again, if you liked what you heard, check out the full episode in the show notes below. So now we move on to episode three with Bree Hilmer as she discusses how you can implement just-in-time documentation to ensure you're answering your customers' actual questions. What ultimately at a high level just-in-time documentation has looked like at SurveyGizmo is just a process that makes it really easy for support reps to send me over requests and content changes. Um, so on the ground, what that looks like at SurveyGizmo is um, we use Zendesk for our ticketing software. Um, and so it's just a checkbox that says, document this. The support hero can say, you know, hey, I've responded to this ticket and I think that my response is generalizable, mm. basically, um, and should be documented so that next time, instead of, you know, me taking the time to write out all the steps to do this, um, you know, given task, next time I can just say, hey, here's a document that describes, you know, how to set this up. Let me know if you get stuck at any point, right? Um, so they send it over to me and... Um, that um, basically I have a cue to work from and, um, you know, I try to respond as fast as possible so that potentially they can even respond to the customer with that document or if it's timely, they can respond um, with the document maybe a day or two later and said, hey, you know, just so you know, I let our documentation team know that they, you know, that this would be a good document and, and we wrote this up, you know, let us know what you think, Did this, does this answer your question? Um, so that's sort of what it looks like on the ground here. And then on the contrary, if it's not journalizable, the support hero will just respond with their, their custom answer and no need to get to get you involved at that point. Right, right. So they can just keep it moving. You know, they're responding, you know, one ticket after another. And they're just before they, you know, hit send, they ask themselves, you know, do I think this would help other customers? Did, you know, did my answer here, you know, will it help other customers? And is it not already documented? And they can just um, simply click a checkbox. Um, and then um, I use uh, Zapier integration to send that to a Google spreadsheet that, that ends up being my just in time queue that I work from. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost real time. I can see, you know, requests come in throughout the day and um, decide whether or not to write a new document, decide whether to supplement an existing document with that content. Um, it's pretty cool. When I moved up to Boulder after graduating from UNT here in Denton, Bree was one of the first people I met who was a fellow technical writer. And she's just such a delight, so knowledgeable. And you definitely probably got that feel from that uh, segment. So if you're feeling what Miss Bree said, again, check out the show notes for the full episode. Now we move into episode four with Autumn Hood as she discusses how technical communicators can think with that design perspective. How can a technical communicator think about design as they're writing the documents? I know we mentioned voice mm -hmm. and we mentioned mm -hmm. tone, which are huge. 
Um, but there's a bigger picture in just thinking about how that content is being designed among the rest of the content. What are some what are some action items tech writers can take to improve their design mindset? Oh, that is so huge. So, I mean, even if we just forget the digital interface for now and we just go back to paper manuals, um, you know, tech writers have a lot of design uh, aspects to mm-hmm. their content. You know, for example, obviously things like headings, things like primary, secondary, and tertiary headings, things like emphasis, things like terminology. So in there, a lot of the times you're using things like color theory. Um, you're wanting to use colors that contrast but don't conflict. You're wanting colors that don't provide any kind of existing associations that they're not meant to provide. Um, you're wanting to ensure that there's proximity between headers and body content and so on and so forth. You're wanting to make sure that you're consistent consistently using the same cues to users, like whether or not this is a definition term or whether or not this is a technical term. Um, So you're constantly employing design elements such as color and typeface and alignment. And and that's just for uh, like, you know, print print technical communication and then you move on to the web and then you have to think about, well, how are people searching for this content? What are the words they're going to use most likely? What kinds of metadata do I have to then make sure it gets implemented into this content? Um, so really, it's like a lot of these things, you know, apply whether or not you're, you're writing for the web or you're writing for print. Episode four with Autumn Hood. If you liked what you heard, again, check out the show notes below for the complete episode. Now we move into episode five with Write the Docs co-founder Eric Holscher as he discusses how to rethink your interactions at conferences to make actual relationships with your colleagues. I think this is, this is one of the things that I've always kind of had this weird cognitive dissidence about uh, when people talk about networking. And I've always viewed going to conferences and, and interacting with people as just like meeting awesome people and yeah. making friends. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think like when people use the word networking, they, they view it as much more of like a transaction yeah. where like, I will help you and you will help me. And like, we, we, <laughs> this, we'll have this tra- like transactional relationship. I think it's really just going in and kind of being open and, and just meeting the interesting people and, and seeing who's there, you know, and coming in with like the right mindset of meeting interesting people and not having like an agenda of yeah. like, I want to get a new job and I'm going to find people at the, these three companies or, you know, yeah. you know, just being like, Hey, who's, who's here? Who's cool. Um, let's see who I, who I can connect with. Like, on kind of a, a personal level, um, because that is that is so much of it, right? Is you know the the sense of isolation of being kind of in a in a silo or a, a lone professional in an organization is you know it stunts your technical skills, which is something that you know meeting people at meetups is great for, mm-hmm. but it also just kind of sucks. <laughs> like, like it's just it's not fun, um, and psychologically it can be really really difficult to you know. There's all sorts of, of issues around that, and you know, finding other people that do similar work and have similar values um, is just makes your job and your life better. <laughs> I agree. Um, so I think I think that's a, a really exciting part of you know having these communities is just kind of making those connections. Again, that was episode five with Eric Holscher, co-founder of Write the Docs. And if you haven't had an opportunity to attend the Write the Docs conference or any of its international local meetups, I really encourage you to do so. I attended the conference in Portland this past summer, and Eric's philosophy of how you should truly get to know your colleagues on a personal level really does shine bright at both the conference and its meetups. 
Uh, if you were feeling what he was putting down, check out the full episode in the show notes below. Now we move on to episode six with Neil Kaplan, who was actually a, uh, a speaker at the Write the Docs conference this past summer. And in this segment, he's giving you tips about how to bridge the gap between the documentation team and the support team. I think it's it's actually really easy. You know, they're your coworkers. You're all working toward the same goal. Let's make a better product. Let's make our customers happier, mm-hmm. more successful. Support is a, you know, they're a really big part of that. They're on the front lines. And it really came down to just learning who they are, talking to them. And it might, you know, they could be three desks over. They could be around the world. It doesn't really matter. But it's just starting that communication and saying, and really, um, I would just say opening up and saying, hey, you know, I'm the documentation person. I would love to get some to give your feedback. You know, I would love to hear what your comments are. Let's start talking. I love it. And then in your experience, they've been very receptive to that approach. They're like, yes, like we have we have this wealth of knowledge over yes. here and, and happy to share it with you. And it, yes, exactly. I've found that they are they are very receptive. That um they really just often well, we all get into our jobs, right? Mm-hmm. We all get can get very heads down. And it's we're, we're thinking about what needs to be done now. So support is doing the same thing. They're thinking very often, how do I answer this next ticket? How do I solve this customer's problem? And, you know, I've got a lot of tickets in the backlog. How do we do this? And they're thinking from their view is, okay, answer the ticket, answer the next ticket, you know, do their research, do this. Yeah. So it's really coming in and, and, you know, as a doc writer coming in and just saying, hey, how can I help? And, yeah. and how, how you as a doc writer can help is, it really comes down to how can I make the documentation better? Yeah. How can I better address these problems? So I found that support is, yeah, they're very receptive. They're very happy to talk because you're saying, basically, how can I help you do your job? And wow, this is great for the customers. And, and you know, that's what we want. We want happy, we all want happy customers. That was episode six with Neil Kaplan. Again, if you like what you heard, please check out the full episode in the show notes below. Now we move on to episode seven with Ted Hudick, my man, as he discusses how you can stay relevant as a technical communicator. One of the things that, uh, that I like to ask people is uh, just kind of a random question, but I ask people, how did you get started with that? Hmm. Like when they're telling you about something cool that they're doing or, you know, hey, studying this or it could be, could be anything. Just uh, it's kind of a great line of questioning that that can help you discover cool things. Um, one cool thing about tech writers is, is the array of backgrounds that they come from. So typically when you ask that, you get some pretty interesting answers. Another question I like to ask people is, what should I learn next? That's a good one. I actually asked uh, Eric Holscher that. He's the, the organizer of Write the Docs. And uh, he came back with Lector and Swagger, um, which I've actually not had time to investigate yet, but are on my list of things to, to look up. Because like the same things that they're learning might help you too, or lead you to a solution that you can use, right? Because we're all facing the same higher level problems as tech writers, so like there's a lot of built-in common ground. Episode seven with Ted Hudick. If you liked what you heard, check out the full episode in the show notes below. Now we move on to episode eight, and this is a particularly fun episode. We had two guests, Tom Johnson and Lisa Melison discussing how you can filter the information overload that tech writers often face to focus on the information that you need to create better documentation. 
there are so many things that you could learn about a product. And by product, I would also include the whole domain where the, where the product product's context is. Mm-hmm. It's sort of industry and everything, uh, mm-hmm. the whole, whole market awareness. But as Lisa pointed out, you only need to really focus on what the user wants to know about that product. So by having that uh, association with the user, you can filter down the level of product knowledge uh, to something more manageable. Oh, yeah, that's a great way of saying it, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) No, it really is, because it's succinctly, I love that term filter, because it helps take something that can be overwhelming for students who are learning, new tech writers on the job who Mm -hmm. are overwhelmed with so many things, and even some of us oldsters who have done things, and we get caught up in our old patterns, and we forget to take a step back. And that word filter is a great one because it forces us to go back to some of those fundamental questions and put it through that filter to really figure out what we need to write. And so that really is a beautiful way of saying it. That was episode eight with Tom Johnson and Lisa Melanson. Again, if you liked what you heard, check out the full episode below. Man, we only have two episodes left, nine and ten. Feeling a little bit melancholy. Uh, So let's dive into episode 9 with my good friend out of South Wales, John Esperian, as he discusses how you can create a human connection in your documentation. It's easy to fall into the trap of assuming that because something is simple for you, the clever tech writer, it's going to be simple for every member of the audience. And we just know that that isn't true. People don't respond to procedures that start with, you know, follow this simple process. Mm-hmm. What's simple to to us isn't simple to everyone. And this is just another example of, of trying to show some empathy and trying to show some humanity in your in your content. Don't be condescending to people because you might end up turning them off and they get stuck at step three and then they feel like a failure and then they put the document away and they never touch the product again. That's a disaster. That, that's what every tech writer should want to avoid. So we need to try to be inclusive and just be mindful that um, people of different abilities will be reading your content and you need to, to just show a bit of empathy and understanding of the challenges they may face. Episode 9 with the dear friend John Esperian. Check out the full episode in the show notes below. Now we move on to the final episode of 2016. We had Paul Stecklin on the podcast talking about why documentation teams should consider implementing single source authoring. The reason why uh, people should consider single source authoring is anybody who wants to work less, <laughs> first of all, and produce more. I create a whole bunch of documentation, and it's in electronic format, and it's and I create PDFs, and I create movies, I create all this all this stuff. If I didn't have uh, single sourcing tools that I have, I would have to hire a lot of people, and I would have, and it would take a, a lot longer. So that's one reason: is that it's quicker. Why why produce something? six, seven, eight, nine times the same information over and over in all these different sources. When you can do it once, it's easier to write it once. Um, another reason is that you're going to be able to maintain consistency better and cut down on mistakes. So imagine if you're writing documentation for a company and they want all these reference guides or user guides or something, and but they're 
for for different areas of the country, maybe different offices, and uh, so you have to maintain, you know, maybe twelve, thirteen, fourteen different guides, and a lot of the information is the same. Well, you're ha- you're you're maintaining twelve, thirteen, fourteen sources, uh, and every time a change is made, you have to go back to each one of those. And go, okay, what are, now? Where was this? And I get to make sure I make these changes here. And if you miss uh, a spot. Uh, you're you're going to end up with incorrect information, errors, mistakes. It's just smarter, um, faster, easier, better. <laughs> Pick your adjective to to do it in one place. And dearest listeners, that is it. The best moments of 2016 on the Not Boring Tech Writer podcast. It has been such an honor to give all of these guests a platform to share their expertise, their experiences, their wisdom and really just capture the theme of this podcast. And that is giving you, the listener, the skills that you need to enhance your skill set, improve your marketability, and diversify your career. I look forward to having more guests in 2017, and I wish each of you a happy new year. Peace.